This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, terror wins. Scenes of hostages return bring joy to the world and to Hamas. How giving in to terrorists puts us all at risk. Head of state. Elon Musk gets the royal treatment in Israel mere days after sending an anti-Semitic tweet. It's remarkable what humans are capable of if they're fed falsehoods. The dangers of giving the world's richest man his own foreign policy. Street fight. The Irish riot against immigration. I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner, to be honest. Bill O'Reilly on why these scenes could soon play out on American streets. Here we go again. Dozens of Chinese have come down with pneumonia in a major city in western China, and officials don't know why. Is China hiding another deadly pandemic? And voluntary segregation. They will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We've come a long way from Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. We'll expose the teachers who want to move back to all black classrooms. Welcome to the fairest show on television. First tonight, Hamas wins. Peace-loving people around the world all lose. Today, President Biden celebrated an additional two-day ceasefire between Hamas and Israel in exchange for 20 hostages. Of course, 20 hostages coming home is good news. It's great news. And the good news for all of us stops there. Let's just very quickly review the past 45 days. Iran and its proxies killed 1,200 innocent Israelis, tortured and raped innocent civilians, and took 250 hostages rampaging through Israel. They continue to attack U.S. bases around the Persian Gulf with kamikaze drones. At last count, it's about 73 attacks against Americans on separate occasions. They've also fired ballistic missiles at a Navy destroyer. And the Iranian-backed proxies show absolutely no sign of bowing to American deterrence because there is no American deterrence. Now let's review the response that the world has given to Iran and Hamas. The world demanded Israel cease fire and trade convicted terrorists for women and children held hostage. The media created a moral equivalency between Hamas roasting babies in ovens and Israel defending itself. The progressive movement in America rallied support for the terrorists. In fact, America pushed for a ceasefire without demanding proof of life of the Americans held hostage in Gaza. We think the number is, um, well, it's less than 10, probably in the neighborhood of, you know, about eight to nine. Um, but we don't necessarily have firm, solid information on each and every one of them. Let that sink in. That shows how desperate Mr. Biden is. And it gets worse. 
Once again, here is John Kirby of the National Security Council explaining America's plan. We're hoping that they'll do the right thing here, identify additional hostages and help get them released. We are hoping that Hamas does the right thing. No disrespect to John Kirby. He's a spokesman. His job is to present the very best he can of a policy, a policy of hoping Hamas does the right thing. Now let's think about where we're at right now, because the clock is ticking. There's approximately 190 hostages left. Do the math. The truce only can last until mid-December, 10 hostages a day. Then what? Seriously. Will the White House defend Israel destroying Hamas when all the hostages come home? That's unlikely, especially considering this weekend in Nantucket, protesters greeted a vacationing President Biden with chants about freeing Palestine. The pro-Hamas, pro-Israel divide in the Democratic Party is only going to get worse. That puts Mr. Biden in even a worse position. The Washington Post dropped a big Sunday story about divisions inside Biden White House over support for Israel. As we heard, the White House now says they hope Hamas does the right thing, as if hope for a terrorist organization is a policy. In a word, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's also terrifying. Hamas is going to do exactly what it wants, exactly what Iran orders it to do. Hamas consolidated power in the West Bank by winning the release of terrorists held by Israel. Hundreds of terrorists have come home to heroes' welcomes. And the New York Times loved it. Here's one article about the hostages for terrorist swipe. Quoting the Times over the weekend, a disfigured woman whose case has become well-known is among the Palestinians released. Yes, that is technically accurate. She was disfigured when the car bomb she drove to kill Israelis detonated early. Seriously, the New York Times covers the release of a failed suicide bomber and a four-year-old hostage as if they are the same. Hamas also spent the weekend regrouping and rearming. Whenever the truce ends, the Israelis, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, are in a pickle. If they don't restart the war and destroy Hamas, their whims, and restarting a war gets harder and harder by the day. Netanyahu knows this. Take a listen. Pay attention to the subtitles. Nothing will stop them except American pressure, because American pressure has already stopped the Israelis. Israel had Hamas on the run. Israel had the tactical momentum. And they stopped for political reasons. You can't help but smile when you see the reunion seriously. When you see little girls hugging their parents after 50 days in underground tunnels. When you see mothers reunited with their kids. It's what we all want. But President Biden's oath of office isn't to the hostages or their families. It's to all of us. He's the commander in chief to keep all of us safe. Hamas and Iran are not tired of winning. With that, we bring in Dan Senior, former foreign policy advisor to the Bush administration, also the author of The Genius of Israel, Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent World. I know the title uh, was written before the events of October 7th, and it's proved prescient. Uh, you know the Middle East better than just about anybody. Am I wrong here? Look, uh, I think that the Israeli government 
probably did the right thing. I can't second guess them in doing this original hostage exchange and getting, you know, for the for the few days of ceasefire and then even extending it a couple of days. And I think they're getting the hostages that they're getting back, which Hamas did not want to give up, not because anyone restrained Israel's military action, but because Israel's military action was so effective. They unleashed military might on Gaza and that completely rattled the Hamas leadership, especially Yechia Sinwar, in terms of what he was willing to give up in this hostage deal now versus mm. a couple of weeks ago. The, the the IDF has been effective, and that yeah. has incentivized Sinwar and Hamas to give up hostages. But So no, no one should think that restraining Israel is the way to actually resolve this crisis. If anything, it's empowering Israel, which is dealing with a genocidal, entity on its southern border that poses an existential threat. And I want to be very clear about that, Leland. It's an existential threat to Israel. That is to say, no. there, there no, are a no, couple no hundred argument, thousand no people argument, in southern Israel who've had to leave, who've had to relocate no, no, Dan, to other Dan, parts I, of the country because it's not safe. Yeah, no, Dan, Dan no argument. Look, I, I, I've been in southern Israel. I've been under more rocket attacks from Hamas than I care to, than I care to remember, especially a couple that came a little too close for, for comfort. But this would be my question, right? If you're Israel that needs to take care of this existential threat, you know uh, that you're getting lectured to by an increasingly embattled Joe Biden about international law and the like. There were huge pushes and pressure on Israel uh, to stop uh, and for humanitarian pauses and all this other kind of stuff. Are we to believe that Israel is then going to just restart this war against Hamas if they get all their hostages back? I don't. I just am trying to play this out beyond how nice it is that the hostages have come back. The, the answer is yes, and I'll tell you why. There are twin goals in this military operation. One is getting all the hostages back, but it's also, as you saw firsthand, what that threat can pose to southern Israel. Now, I have independent analysts who say, well, if Israelis can't live in southern Israel, they can move to other parts of the country. They can move farther north. They can move to Ashkelon. They can move to Beersheba. But what they don't appreciate, if if any one part of Israel is unsafe, the entire country is unsafe, which is why the threat is an existential threat. It's not like Israelis can say, I'm not going to live here, I'll live there. Once Israelis uh, think yeah, certain yeah. parts of the country are not safe, they they will leave the country, which is why it's imperative that Israel plow ahead, even if they get all their hostages back. No, I'm not arguing whether they whether it's imperative that they do. I'm just wondering about the pressure to not plow ahead that they're going to get, which I don't, they will I don't get a lot see of how. Yeah, they're going to face enormous amounts of pressure, right? Yeah, they're going to get a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, President Biden has, even though he makes comments from time to time, urging Israel to be more mindful of civilian casualties and be, you know, kind of more uh. selective in where it targets, which I think are, you know, th- these are ridiculous expectations being placed upon Israel. Uh, Israel, yeah. it goes to more lengths than any government, any military in the world. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'll, I'll get, I, I, got, I got 30 seconds. I'll give you the last word. Uh, how does what's happened not embolden Iran and its proxies at all? Everything, take the events of the past 45 days. They are emboldened, are they not? There, there's no question. I mean, they look at, look at the, look, you can see it. Look at what Iran is doing, empowering the Houthis and empowering different players in Syria to be, Hitting U.S. military targets and Israeli military targets, Hezbollah has okay. been sort of restrained in the north. But no, Iran is 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 lighting things up a little bit. I mean, they're yeah. you can see it in their actions.
No, for sure. Dan, thank you as always. We appreciate your expertise you. and uh, your, your service as well. The Genius of Israel. It's important to read, understand sort of the, the Israeli psyche right now that they're going through. We appreciate it all day. And it's worth celebrating. It's worth taking a moment to see the families reunited with their loved ones after days. But what you probably haven't seen are images of how Hamas treats its fellow Palestinians. Remember, we've been told for weeks now how important it is to protect Palestinian civilians, how Palestinian lives really matter, and Israel must be restrained because they're killing Palestinians. We want to show you what Hamas does to Palestinians. You need to see it. It's graphic, like everything Hamas does, it's graphic. Hamas hung the bodies of two men from an electricity pole in the West Bank. Everybody showed up to take pictures of it. The people you see there hanging dead are accused of collaborating with Israel. You didn't hear about that on CNN or MSNBC. It wasn't written up in the New York Times because foreign correspondents spent the day celebrating the release of Palestinian prisoners, many accused of either carrying out or trying to carry out terrorist acts against Israel. So far, a total of 117 have been freed as part of the deal between Israel and Hamas, including these teenage boys who were given a hero's welcome. A hero's welcome for teenage boys who were accused of some pretty awful crimes. Frank Sesno is here, Director of Strategic Initiatives at the School of Media and Public Affairs at George Washington University. Uh, Frank, I've admired your work for a long time. It's nice to be able to talk to you. Nice to be with you. I, I don't get it. If, if, if Palestinian lives are so sacred, why are we not seeing outrage about the murder and hanging of two Palestinians by Hamas? We should be seeing outrage. We should be seeing and hearing detail. We should be getting context. Who are these people? What were they accused of? What was the rule of law here? What jury, what court actually, through any kind of rule of law, convicted them? Um, just as you point out with any number of stories here, what we're getting is what Donald Rumsfeld used to refer to as the snapshot through the star straw. This very narrow, very particular, very hyper-focused uh, attention on one element of a story that then, because there's only so right, much but, but, real estate, I, I, you can't I get the rest, and we need the rest. I, I couldn't agree with you more, but why does the straw always seem to focus on how horrible Israel is and the moral equivalency of roasting babies and Israel defending itself. Well, I wouldn't agree with it that the straw always focuses on that. And I saw a lot of oh, time and attention on. today. No, I saw a lot of time and attention today on the Israelis who were released, the four-year-old girl, the older woman. No, no, I, 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 get, I get that. So, I get that. But, it, but there's no there's no acknowledgement, right, that Israel is trading terrorists. OK, and you saw the New York Times headline about the, the disfigured woman completely admitting that this was a woman who was disfigured by her own car bomb. What the headline should have I'm agreeing with you. What the headline should have said is bomber released. In, in, as part of the deal. So why doesn't it? Uh, look, I think that the problem here, there are so many problems, okay? There are lots of them. First of all, it's, huh? it's the moral equivalency issue. Secondly, it's the snapshot through the straw issue. And the media need to do a much better job in real time of reporting multiple things from multiple places, which includes the, 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 the civilian loss as well as the prisoners who are exchanged in, in the Palestinian territory. So it's, yeah, it's very upsetting to see this. You, you've covered this for an awful long time. I, I have as well. I was over uh, in the Middle East for four years. It feels to me 
like there is this continued double standard when it comes to Israel. It's existed for a long time. The moral equivalency issue has existed for a long time. Why is it that Palestinians, for example, the three Palestinians who were shot, we don't know why, uh, in Vermont, are suddenly this huge cause de celeb, yet the the crimes, the, the incitement against Jews on college campuses and thousands of people chanting for uh, and demanding the obliteration of Israel are not covered. The fact that there are thousands in the streets celebrating terrorists coming home. I, I just, I can't figure out what it is about the double standard. You were, you've been doing this for a long time. What is it? Well, first of all, well, I'm not sure I'm going to quite buy on to the double standard thing. I can find okay. lots of faults and I'll make lots of criticisms, but I'm not going to do a sweeping condemnation on that. I've seen a ton of, of coverage. And believe me, I know because I'm on one of those campuses where there's been targeted uh, activities against yeah. Jewish students and anti-Semitism and all of that. When three people are shot in a place like Vermont, and I know Vermont well, I spend a lot of time there. That's a big story. And, and people should know that. And that, but that's different than what's happening in, in the Middle East. And I think we need to be really careful about this. What's happening in Israel right now, this is a problem Israel's got with coverage. The horror, the absolute horror that took place uh, in, in Israel with the, with the Hamas terrorists going there and butchering people took place. And now we're still mourning it, but it's done. And this war continues. And the news media focus on the moment. And what's happening in the moment is what's going to get their attention. That's the problem. That's where we lose context. That's a good point. That's fair. Hey, Frank, as I said, I've admired your work for a long time. Uh, love to have you back, uh, especially in studio, to continue the conversation. All right. Be a pleasure. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for sir. Me. All right. All take right. Care. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. Gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. We try to give you as much context uh, as we possibly can while keeping things brief. It takes about five minutes to read. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe for free. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's how we put the show together internally. Now you get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter, warnotes.com, and subscribe for free. You might say, here we go again. The same organization that rang alarm bells about COVID in December of 2019 say hospitals in Beijing, China, now report a surge of a new respiratory illness, this time in children. And we are not kidding. From part of the Internal International Society for Infectious Diseases, a group called ProMed, reports an unusual and undiagnosed pneumonia outbreak. It's the same language they used in December of 2019 full month before any of us knew what COVID was. The releases, the dispatches from ProMed read almost exactly the same. The World Health Organization says it has requested more information. Yes, that's the same World Health Organization that covered up for China during COVID, covered up where COVID came from, said COVID wasn't airborne. It cost hundreds of thousands of American lives. And of course, China lied too, and the media covered up for them. Don't you remember when saying COVID came from China was racist? It comes from China. That's why. It comes from China. I want to be accurate. Turns out Trump was right. Chinese almost certainly made COVID in a Wuhan lab. We have no idea if this new virus is actually a new virus because, the, once again, the Chinese won't tell the truth about anything. 
Growing concerns in China as the country deals with a rise in respiratory illnesses and clusters of pneumonia in children. The World Health Organization formally asking Beijing for more details on the spike in cases. And good morning, America, going down exactly the same route they went down before. Oh, the World Health Organization in China. We should get more information from them as if their information would be truthful. It'd be nice if we here in the United States didn't trust China. Instead, perhaps a Blue Ribbon Commission could have investigated COVID. Something like the January 6th Committee or 9-11 Commission. They could tell us where COVID came from. The government response. Did it work? Did it not? Things to learn from? How to deal with the next pandemic? Maybe they could answer if shutting down the economy was a good idea. What about mask mandates and vaccine requirements for kids? Those answers would be useful right about now. The only thing we know We can't count on the Chinese to tell the truth or Good Morning America to find it. Coming up next, 60 years after the civil rights movement that desegregated America's classrooms, schools want to go back to segregation in the name of equity. Why suddenly defining people by their skin color is okay. And Irish Lives Matter protesters take to the streets over mass Muslim migration to Ireland. Will America's streets soon fill with similar complaints? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Nearly 80 years ago, the Supreme Court declared separate was inherently unequal. But now a high school in Evanston, Illinois, will offer so-called affinity classes. That means black and Latino students are separated from white students. In other words, separate is good if it celebrates the oppressed. No whites allowed. Just for a second, imagine if George Wallace had said he wanted all black classrooms because it would help black students learn. When King marched on Washington, the fight was for us to all be treated equal. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hmm. Now progressives want different treatment based on race, sex, identity. So progressives keep trying to divide us into more groups, narrower groups. They add a letter or a group designation, and then we as a country get more divided. Karl Marx would have loved it. People aren't people. They're defined by group characteristics, which defines your place on the oppressed oppressor scale. More versus less powerful. The group less powerful must be given power at the expense of the powerful, regardless of merit. Joining us now, the USC School of Education Dean, Pedro Nogueira. Dean, it's good to see you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, I'm just wondering, how is segregating classes a good thing? Well, it's not a good thing. And um, let me me start by just saying it's good to be with you and to address this important issue. Um, I actually have a lot of experience with Evanston. I was there over 20 years ago working with the district on the very topic that drove them to this solution, which is the disparities in achievement, the so-called achievement gap. 
Here we have a large, comprehensive high school, over 4,000 kids, but black and, and Hispanic kids not doing as well as white nation kids. And, you know, what they want to do is create a school that serves all kids well. That's their goal. The strategy they've seized upon is, I think, a flawed strategy. When I visited the school several years ago, I asked them, can I talk to a group of high-achieving black students? Because I'd like to learn about their experience at the school. So they arranged for that. And I asked them about their experiences. Then I said, what's your, what's your favorite class? And they all said it was calculus. I said, really? Calculus? I said, why calculus? Turned out they all had the same teacher. And they described a teacher who was passionate about teaching, who was good at building relationships, and who was so good at teaching math that every one of them was going to go off and major in a math or science-related field in college. So I went and visited the class. And then I told the superintendent, I said, here's the solution to your problem. You need more teachers who can do what he does. You don't have to segregate the kids. What you need is teachers who know how to reach kids of all kinds. What they've done is they've, instead of focusing on the teachers, they're focusing on the kids, not realizing that when you separate kids like this, you also reinforce stigma, which is what the yeah. opposite of what you're trying to do. It almost seems as though that's what, that's what sort of the point of all this is. This is a Wall Street Journal quote from Dena Luna. Uh, black student achievement initiatives with the Minnesota public schools. A lot of times within our education system, black students are expected to conform to a white standard. In our spaces, you don't have to shed one ounce of yourself because everything about our space is rooted in blackness. I just am still trying to figure out how that isn't by definition racism. How is it good to tell kids that they're defined not by their achievements, not by their love of calculus, not by being good people, but by the color of their skin. So, so I wouldn't call this racism necessarily. What I would say, it's, it's a flawed strategy. It's a strategy that's not going to work because it doesn't really address the root of the so problem. So if it does, look, I, I'm not going to argue with you, Chris. Why do these schools, and this isn't just in Evanston. I, I, look, I went to school in Evanston at Northwestern. It's like a commune there almost um, in terms of the politics of the, of the town. But why did these schools that say they so care about these African-American kids and their achievement, why do they embrace strategies that someone is esteemed and is studied in this uh, sector of uh, education as you are? Why would they embrace this and continue to embrace it? Because I think race confuses people. Uh, I think when we see a racial problem, we think there's a racial solution to that problem. Mm. And in fact... What the solution is, is getting kids to feel a sense of belonging so that they feel welcomed at the school. It's about improving the relationships between teachers and students so that teachers are more effective at reaching all kinds of kids. You know, in many schools, the kids who do best are the kids who come from the wealthiest families because those families have more to give those kids. What we want is schools that serve all kinds of kids well, including in Evanston. And Evanston has the resources where it should be able to happen. Hey, Dean, I got to tell you, this was a fascinating conversation. Um, it takes a lot of uh, moral courage to call things uh, as they are, to call balls and strikes. You do that. We appreciate it. We're going to have you back, sir. This is an important topic. Well, thank you for covering it, given all the other important topics you're covering. So appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Coming up next, mass riots in Ireland and what they say about immigration here in the United States. Bill O'Reilly on the other side of the break about this video, what it says 
why they're chanting Irish lives matter in the streets of Dublin. The unrest came after anti-immigration sentiment grew in small parts of the country. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. See the sign right there? Irish Lives Matter. This is video from Dublin over the weekend. The Irish looted and rioted in what American media once called a mostly peaceful way. The Irish were mad about the reported stabbing of three kids or five kids by a Muslim immigrant. Details on the stabbing are sketchy. But the anger by native Irish over the influx of immigrants, many from Muslim countries who have no desire to assimilate to the Irish way of life, that anger is very real. There's no way I go down because it's like, you know, go away. It's so many nationalities in the town that people are afraid to walk in down the town. People off is the main reason. I think it's been, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner, to be honest. If you're helping other people, help the people as well that have been here longer. Otherwise, it's going to create conflict. Yeah, lots of conflict. We've seen anger across Europe at pro-Hamas marches in London at a far-left amnesty program in Spain. This is video of the southern border. We'll get to that in a minute. In Dutch, in Holland, the Dutch Trump, as he is called, won in a landslide. There's a lot of anger about immigration in Holland. Italy recently elected a conservative populist, also over immigration. But the Irish riots focused focused solely on the immigration, specifically Muslim immigration, to that island nation. Immigrants make up 17% of Ireland's population, with almost half of those arriving in the past five years. It makes us think of, and this is why we have the video, our southern border, where millions upon millions stream across every year. Bill O'Reilly, host of No Spin News on BillOReilly.com, is with us now. Uh, you know, Bill, it's sort of this odd thing. What happens in Europe sometimes comes to America. Is, that, is, is Americans getting this angry? You know, it's hard to generalize. Certain areas certainly are in the USA. The Irish thing... Um, From what I understand, it was not a Muslim attacker uh, that did this. It was some loon, some uh, incredibly damaged individual, but an Irish person, an Irish citizen. In the EU, as you know, Leland, you can cross borders and go wherever you want. Uh, And Ireland, the Republic, is in the EU. And so if you are, uh, if you gain residency anywhere in Europe, you can go to Ireland. In addition, Irish uh, government has made it very easy for multinational corporations to set up shop with very low taxation. So in Dublin, in particular, they have seen uh, the city change. But crime in Ireland, very low. I was there this summer uh, in Donegal, but I had to go through Dublin. I stayed a night there. Uh, And I know Ireland as well as any American knows it. 
than every county in Ireland. Um, it's not an intense criminal situation. The Garda there doesn't have a lot of trouble. The growing far-right Irish movement is what I believe is behind these riots. It's not um, just regular, spontaneous people. There have always been these far-right people. When I lived in London, they were called skinheads, bother boys. And they've always been there. And they're anti-immigrant, they have miserable lives, and they want to make everybody's life miserable because they're miserable. That's pretty much what it is. But in America, it's a different situation because of the uh, cartels, because of the Mexican crime. Um, and you really have a situation that in some towns along the border, uh, it's almost unlivable now. And that's the fault of the Biden administration with its open border policy. I'm trying to bring sort of this the far right movement that we're seeing. You call it far right. I've, I've, I've seen both in in Europe when I've been there and studied sort of the, the anger that you see. I mean, the, the protests in Spain, hundreds of thousands of people, that's not necessarily the far right. The elections in Italy, not everybody's the far right. What we're seeing in Holland, not everybody is the far right. But th- there is this seems to be this this growing split right in in Europe. And I'm wondering if we don't aren't going to start seeing that same split here in America and what's going to happen when we get a couple of hundred thousand Americans who are angry about immigration. Like, I don't know. In New York, it seems as though people are getting pretty close to how angry they are about immigration there. Yeah, there hasn't been there hasn't been any violence yet directed at migrants that I know of. There was a murder or murderers in Vermont they're looking at now. But look, in Sweden, that whole society's changed, 10 million Swedes, uh, because the migrants that have come in have set up criminal enterprises. So that situation is totally out of control. In Holland, it's not quite as intense as Sweden, but this guy Wilders, who got elected uh, and won, been around for 20 years, this guy, and he's a very hardcore anti-immigrant guy. And so each country is different. But I'll tell you what, I think this is the biggest deficit beside the economy that Joe Biden has. And I think that Biden's going to get whacked next November, all right, largely because of the open border, which nothing is being done about because Biden doesn't care about it. And then in places like New York and uh, Los Angeles, you've got a tremendous fiscal problem trying to support hundreds of thousands of people who have come here, and more are coming every day. I think last week, 15,000 in the Tucson sector in Arizona were confronted by Border Patrol. 15,000? I mean, and Biden sits there in Nantucket and doesn't do one damn thing about it. And if if Americans aren't angry about that, they'll never get frustration. If you're not angry about this, you're never going to get angry. No, I, I, I hear that. I'm just sort of trying to draw the I, I guess maybe I'm, I, I'm seeing the dotted line. And I don't know if you if you'd agree with me between the anger that we're sort of one incident away, um, whether or not it was a, somebody from Algeria or not who stabbed the, the person in the people in in Ireland. We're just sort of one one event away in, in Dublin, one event away from real anger on America's streets. Look, if it can be shown that an Algerian migrant killed these Irish, you're going to have a big problem there, a continuing problem. But look at Kate Steinle. I, you know that I drove this Kate's law. 
where a guy deported five times. And this week is the anniversary of him being let out five times. He's a criminal alien. He's on trial in Texas now. And he kills Kate Steinle in San Francisco. And he's acquitted. And he's out. Five times he defied deportation. What the deuce is our Congress doing? Nothing. Now that will light a fuse if it happens again. Fair enough. Bill, it's good to see you as always, sir. Thank you. We appreciate it. Coming up next, Elon Musk, head of state. What happens when the world's richest man gets his own foreign policy? Last night, some of them uh, returned home. Not home yet, but they uh, returned to Israel. And, uh, most of them were kidnapped from the houses over there here. It's Elon Musk earlier in Israel trying to reinvent his image after facing backlash, you might say, for a tweet where he agreed with a user who accused Jewish people of hating white people and showing indifference to anti-Semitism. Musk told the world, you have said the actual truth. Chris will be covering both that and Musk's PR journey to Israel. It's like the world's richest man has his own foreign policy or something. Yeah, I mean, he's such an interesting demonstration of uh, power without portfolio. Uh, You know, this guy's got tremendous reach. What he says is heard, responded to, spread. But that doesn't mean he necessarily knows what he's talking about. Now, what I like about this (laughs) is not that Bibi Netanyahu shouldn't have better things to be doing than talking to this guy. Um, But he's doing something that's very rare these days, if you think about it. He did something stupid, dangerous, wrong, but now he's looking into it. He's going to the place that that nobody else would go to. They wouldn't go there figuratively, let alone literally. And he is seeing what it is uh, that he may have been misunderstanding. And that is in rare supply these days. Is he getting too much attention? Of course. Who and what doesn't these days in this crazy media environment? But at least he's trying to learn. And man, mm. is that a precious commodity in America today. Yeah, my mother would say about people like that, seldom right, but never in doubt. So I know you got Alan Dershowitz coming <laughs> <laughs> Alan Dershowitz on with Chris Cuomo a little later. Chris, good to see you coming up next. Let's be honest, because we always are on this program. Everybody, yeah, you did it too, Chris. You talked politics over the weekend from the Thanksgiving table to football games. You couldn't ignore Biden or Trump. Well, Chris Steyerwald with who Thanksgiving helped and hurt when we come back. This has been the product of a lot of hard work and weeks of personal engagement for me and my team. We've been in close contact with the leaders of Qatar, Egypt, and Israel, speaking with each one of them repeatedly over the past few weeks to help secure this deal. We spoke again yesterday with the Emir of Qatar. President Biden played wartime president on vacation, shopping in Nantucket while holding press conferences about hostage releases. For a president known to spend more time away from the White House than most this weekend will either turn public opinion around or reinforce the idea Well, might be a little too old for the job. The polls keep getting worse for the president. Latest CNN poll shows Trump would beat Biden by four points. Haley beats Biden head-to-head 10 percentage points. DeSantis up by two. 
Biden, Trump head-to-head electoral college. Trump 292, Biden 246, Chris Steyer-Walt is here. What do we make of this sort of the sort of almost going back to the George W. Bush presidency? I'm on vacation, but I'm going to come out and make statements and talk about things. Oh, I think the president's the president wherever he goes. And uh, people complained about Donald Trump being at Mar-a-Lago. People complained about Barack Obama being on the golf course. People complained about Bill Clinton. It's just, it's a thing people say. I think for Biden, the being able to go out and talk about released hostages is probably a good thing. And people probably don't care whether he's in Massachusetts or Delaware or Washington. We see this sort of split screen this weekend, right, of Joe Biden kind of being the old school president on vacation, shopping at uh, Nantucket and sort of doing this thing covered by the White House pool. And then Donald Trump flipping the coin at the Clemson uh, USC game. Is this what we're going to sort of see for the next year? President Biden largely in the bubble, Trump trying to be out there stealing the spotlight? Well, I think for Trump, uh, South Carolina, as Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, uh, starts to sort of emerge as his principal rival, uh, though at some distance, for the Republican nomination, being in South Carolina and, by the way, being with Henry McMaster, the governor of the state, who is also a mortal, bitter political enemy of Nikki Haley, uh, dating back more than a decade in South Carolina. Uh, that was a good way for him to say, I'm in the lead in South Carolina. Now, of course, if you're a Clemson fan, you probably don't like how that uh, game turned out, right? <laughs> well, somebody so you, was going to not like how that yeah, game so, turned so out. You, so you, you may not like uh, how everything worked out. But I think for Trump, this is a, uh, a good way to flex, a good way to show his performance in South Carolina, take care of South Carolina. Uh, the the For Trump, the moment... If if he does, as uh, all things indicate right now, go on to be the Republican nominee, the dynamic in the race changes, right? Because right now, Democrats and Biden, they want Trump, right? They prefer Trump. If the choice was for Democrats, if they could have Trump or they could have Nikki Haley, they're going to take Trump 10 Mm -hmm. out of 10 times. So I think the character and dynamic in the race changes once Trump has the nomination, uh, the attacks sharpen. Right now, Democrats are a lot, uh, focused a lot on who, trying to who, make Joe Biden more appealing. Uh, they'll be a lot more focused on making Donald Trump less appealing. Yeah, nothing unites Democrats like Donald Trump That's does. That's a fact. And in, in, sort of smooths over many of the divisions they have right now. Who won Thanksgiving weekend, Trump or Biden? Oh, I think for persuadable voters... Neither. I don't think people probably care. People aren't focusing yet. People, I, I don't think persuadable voters care. I think Trump probably did fine for himself with the Republican primary voters. and He got to have that big moment at the stadium. I think Biden for Democrats continues to be good. I guess it, if, you, if you want me to net it out, I'll give it to Biden just on the grounds that more people care about what's going on with Hamas uh, and, and terrorists and hostages than they do about the Gamecocks versus the Tigers. All right. Uh, New Hampshire polling right now. Trump 42, Haley 20, Christie 14, DeSantis 9, Vivek 8. Nikki Haley surging at the right moment ahead of the debate. Well, look, this is the the moment where if anybody's going to slingshot and uh, we've seen it happen before, anybody's going to slingshot in Iowa or New Hampshire. Now is when it begins. Right now is when you start to see the movement. Uh, Ted Cruz came from behind in Iowa in 2016. Uh, John Kasich uh, emerged from back in the pack. Uh, to go into second place in New Hampshire. Uh, Haley's on that trajectory, but she and Ron DeSantis uh, have a rendezvous with destiny. 
because as Haley has managed to consolidate part of the non-MAGA, non-nationalist lane of the Republican Party, DeSantis has struggled, right? He failed to take out Trump. He struggled to unite the other side of the party. The two of those are going to be increasingly at odds between now and January 15th when Iowa goes to caucus. Mm -hmm. And you'll probably get to see a good bit of that next Wednesday uh, on the 6th of December in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, when a great team of moderators, uh, including our own Elizabeth Vargas, uh, makes it happen. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.